Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Lafondra looking to get caught side of Fon. Lafondra away from David. 3 1 running. Three points running. Hello and welcome to another Elm Park Royals monthly review. Uh, I tried to change it up uh, with, with some new voices, but we've, we've ended up keeping Jordan. How are you doing, Jordan? I'm good. I'm good. Glad to be back. Yeah, I tried to get Ben, but. He's, he's off running and doing fun things <laughs> with his life. So, yeah, we'll start with you. But Callum, you're here as well. How are you doing, Callum? I'm all right. I am here as well. Thanks for that, Matt. I'm happy yeah. that we've won some matches. Just an absolutely rousing introduction for you both. Let's let's start as we mean to go on with a really high bar. Um, as you say, Callum, um, the last time... We did this monthly review. Things were looking pretty dire for Paunovic. And I, I honestly did not see a route him keeping his job by this international break, given the the games we had coming up and everything going on off field. Um, and yet, he seems to have completely turned it round. Yeah, I think it's kind of just... I don't think anything's changed tactically. I think we've had new signings who have done well. They've all had kind of a match to highlight each other. I mean, Hoyle at Cardiff, Halilovic... All right, they've all kind of they've had their moment, um, and it's given John Swift some friends on the football pitch, which was needed because it was getting a bit of a one-man show. Yeah, I mean, in some ways, it still is a bit of a one-man show, Jordan, isn't it? Like he, John Swift is still involved in most things that Reading do. Yeah, it, it it still feels like so much of our success comes down to him, um, and even just like does he score like every every move seems to involve him in some parts usually with him shooting um but uh but yeah it's nice to have a couple of other match winners um because that kind of is our <laughs> a kind of is our, our attacking strategy right it's just like let one of the fun players do something fun and, and hopefully somebody scores there's not too much more planned beyond that i don't really think yeah i it felt like pre-international break, um, there was more of a focus on maybe trying to score goals and going forward. And 
uh, post that, we, we we almost have shut up shop and gone back a little bit to how we were playing last season, Callum. Is that fair? Like, that, as Jordan said, it's, it's very defence first and then try and grab a goal rather than be structured in attack. Yeah, I think it kind of changed with that uh, doubleheader with QPR, Peterborough, where QPR, we, we played great and then we, we lost it in the last 10 minutes. And then Peterborough was very ring last season. The first half was so dull. We let them have all the ball. They were just, but they couldn't do anything. And it was still nil-nil. And then obviously Swift and Tom Denebashiru, they pulled it out in the end. So it was, he's got very much to, let's keep it solid and hope that I've got better players than them, than the opposition in attack. And it worked last year for the most part. And it's worked this month for the most part. I think I saw someone say the same about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's Manchester United attack, which is that if you have better players than the opposition, that actually can work. And and it is working at the minute, Jordan. Um, I had this question for much later, um, but is, is it a sustainable way of playing football? Oh, uh, I guess I'd say it depends over what time period you're talking about. Is it is it sustainable enough to keep us in the division? Yeah, I'd probably say it would it would be. Um, it's it's in a lot of ways a continuation of what we did last year. Do I think we're going to do as well as last year? No, probably not. Are we going to stay up? Yeah, probably. Um, it's and I think the the Solskjaer comparisons are quite good in some ways in that like um, he's got them good enough to like consistently get kind of near the top but not really and they in my mind are never going to go beyond that with him just like i don't think we will go beyond that with Pauno. certainly caveated with everything else that's going on right like i i've talked about this before still not actually that sure how good Pauno is just in general um that's not me saying he's bad it's just like there's just so many little things that have gone against him that like who knows if he's any good, but like, I think he's fine and playing the way we are, which sometimes is like sketchy as hell. Sometimes is very reliant on very good players just doing something brilliant. I think it's it's enough so that we don't have to be too, too worried about anything below mid-table probably, which for a lot of us is probably okay given everything else that's going on. Yeah, and I, I, it's a weird one because the soul shot bits... Sorry, um, I, I think Solskjaer relatively would have done a worse job than Pauno at Reading, but the comparison is quite good because if Solskjaer had left a year or so in, when he had that good streak, when he kind of he brought the field good factor back, people would have gone back and said, oh, great Solskjaer, he's done a great job in a year to give a platform for the next manager to be good, etc. Whereas, and the problem is, is that it's gone way too long now, like Jordan says, United, they won't ever win the title under him, Champions League, nothing like that. So maybe I'd be curious to see what happens with Paolo to see if in two years' time he's still here and we're still kind of making the same mistakes and limited by him rather than... At the moment, he's helping props up. But obviously, when the embargo goes and when we kind of... We get back to try to challenge, I don't know if he'll then limit us, our progress going forward. Yeah, I mean, I guess in some ways you can't really talk about football managers like that because if they earn the right to to have a crack at it, they kind of have to have a crack at it, right? Otherwise, you'd be annoyed that they never got that that chance. But equally, I think the last two games have been quite interesting because obviously Cardiff, we had one shot and, and one goal and everyone was talking about, you know, how 
how fun a, a result that is. Um, and yet we couldn't break down a Derby team who comparatively should have been a much easier uh, proposition. And I like I think it all comes back to the same kind of root cause, which is that this this unstructured attack, which sometimes works. And and as you say, when it's firing, um, as it was in the first half of last season, and then this little block of games now, it, it's it's great fun. And 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 Fulham away, like very similar. You you score twice and you shut up shop. Um, even that Peterborough game, as you say, like we were dire for an hour, but still managed to somehow score three goals. Um, and and the other thing that I think at the minute is like results are all that matters, given the 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 injuries in the team and and everything going on in the background. It, it's almost it, critiquing anything beyond the results is almost pointless at the minute. And it makes this this podcast pointless, but you know, I'm going to try and get half an hour out of it either way. Um, like what, like, what do you guys think about that? Like, is, is there a, a train of thought and, and this is kind of the prevailing train of thought on Twitter, I guess, a lot of the time, or, or at least the, the two sides of Twitter. One is that results are everything. And one is that performances, you know, actually matter a bit. Where are you at the minute in, in that spectrum, Jordan? I mean, it kind of, it's, it's tricky. I, I 100% agree with you. Like right now, until we have a bit more firmer footing in terms of um, financially, certainly in terms of just like squad depth, like you look at the bench on like the last game and stuff. Um, until then, it's just all about picking up points in my mind. Um, especially with the start we had, especially with like um, the late recruitment and stuff like that. Um, but what it's funny you say like that makes some analysis feel a little bit pointless, and I, I agree. And that's been one of the like the funny, strange frustrations with Pano is that like it's often felt like it's quite hard to um, over analyze what he's doing because of like these issues aren't new ones; they've kind of followed him throughout his whole time here so far. So you can almost take any slice of Pano's time here and go well, we can't dig into it too much because of this or that player's out. So we can't dig into it. Too, and like, it has been his whole thing. And that, that's why, what I mean when I say it's so hard to actually like judge him because people will justifiably always go, well, no, hang on. Cause there's this going on. And you go, well, yeah, fair enough. Um, so, I mean, right now, as long as, as long as the results are coming, I, I don't mind too much. You know, I, I was somebody who, um, you know, didn't get, too overexcited or too worried about like the the Cardiff the lots of shots against stuff that's never good to see but like I wasn't overly concerned um but uh but yeah and I think it's probably given our start has kind of been like two half starts already it also feels a little bit early in the season to even be assessing I saw something on Twitter earlier about like people giving the start of the season like grades like um you know A's and B's and C's and stuff and it, even though we are like a decent chunk in, it feels way too early to do that for Reading because it's been like this horrible start and then this good second bit. And I still don't really know where we are. So it still feels a bit too early to, to judge anything. Yeah, like like we're in a best of three and we're one each um, <laughs> currently. Like this next section of games will be really interesting, I think, from that regard. Um, Callum, one thing that like we can talk about, I guess, is is the way that, 
Paunovic has used those players available to him. And uh, one of the things that, like, personally, I didn't see coming, but undeniably has worked is uh, Hoylet played up front. Um, it, how, how do you feel about that? What, why do you think he's done it, first off? And without, I don't want another podcast about George Puskas, but, um, like, why do you think that he's put Hoylet over Puskas for that role as well? I don't know. Like, it really... And it still annoys me that he's done it. Because he did it, I think, with Fulham away. It was the first one. And it was just after Peterborough and QPR. Two games, he scored three goals each. Uh, Puskas didn't score, but he got an assist again in the Peterborough game. And we scored three goals in each game. That's fine. The attack is fine at that point. Defence, you know, that was the problem. And then we go to Fulham, and he does it. And we win. But I still don't know if it worked. Which sounds weird to say, but... I don't, I don't know if I've loved Hoyle so far. He's been he's been good. He's been all right. You can tell he's at the end of his career. He's not kind of taking men on. He's not blitzing them down the line. He's quite tidy in possession. I, I, I don't know. It, it's annoying me because I think Puskas was on the verge of. We always say he needs that run of games. He was getting that run of game. QPR game. I mean, the chances he got in that game. I was so confident he was going to go on a run of scoring maybe two three goals before before now. And he didn't, and then he got kind of taken away from him again. And even, he doesn't even get subbed on at a, a decent time of the game. It's a Paolo thing, I know, but it was like, from it was five minutes to go. Uh, and then I assume the same afterwards. And you can tell he's frustrated because he comes on with no time to make an impact. He can't attack those tight defenders. He can't be the hold-up man. He's just there to the time-wasting sub, which I don't like. I still think we could have had those results with Puskas at striker. Uh rather than Hoylet. Well, well, I think interesting about the Hoylet thing is um, I think I think Hoylet's played quite well when he's played up front, but I think that's more to do with, like, I, I want to say this in the right way. I think when Hoylet plays there, he looks quite good, but he's not. it's because he's not playing as a striker, right? So, like, even though he's, like, up front, he's basically just playing, like, another attacking midfielder. Like, he goes and he plays on the wing, and he goes and he drops, and he plays into, like, in a 10 position he goes and plays out on the other wing uh so he's getting lots of touches in places where he, he's good at getting touches anyway right so i think he comes away from these games where he's playing up top looking quite good and people go oh you know Hoylet played fairly well you know he got on the ball he was doing nice things but the bit that they don't see is like or, or that they you know maybe don't notice as much as is the gaping hole up front where nobody is right so like I think Hoylet comes out of these games looking quite good, but I don't know that we are a better team like that. But that said, I think it goes into, you know, something we're probably going to talk about at some point, which is like the way we tweak the midfield setup. And if we're going to leave one up top and it leave them super isolated, then honestly, it might as well be Hoylet because you need guys around Puskas. So you might as well just have a guy roaming around, not, you know, not being a striker, because at least, you know, they can do the the bit where they just get involved. You know, I don't really... We somehow... We spoke on this podcast last time about, you know... I said I think he'd score anyway. Um, you know, somebody else said we needed to play more to his strengths. Both of which, you know, could be true. We haven't really found out. We've somehow managed to get even further away in recent weeks from playing towards Puskas' strengths with the tweak in midfield. So it's almost like, well, if we're going to not even 
get close to playing to to you know what we saw some good signs of then you know might as well just chuck another midfielder in there just to, to run around and try and do something fun and that kind of is what Hoylet's doing he's he's doing the same job as Swifty and Halilovic and Ovi and he's just picking the ball up and random places and, and trying to do something with it um but does it make us a better team overall I've, I've got some doubts I yeah I mean I think it depends on whether um like in in some ways how we play the ball up to a striker like if we're just gonna punt it straight up then it doesn't really matter who's playing up there like we or Puskas neither of them are gonna hold the ball up as you say like but Hoylet's first touch is and well most of the time a lot better than George Puskas's if, if it's into his feet I think that's a one of the big things is just that 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 ability for Reading to at least set themselves up to be able to do something in the attacking third is probably one of the reasons why he's playing there. Whereas with Puskas, I, I don't, I don't, yeah, he, he in, as you kind of say, it's probably more about the rest of the team and how the rest of the team is setting up because he'll be further forward and not have as many bodies around him, but he's also not as mobile as Hoylet. So you can't really ask him to do um, the job that Hoylet's currently doing, I think. So I think the change does make sense. As both of you have said, it's kind of hard to judge on whether it makes us a better team, whether Hoylet's playing. Um, no, Hoylet is playing well. It's not fair to critique Hoylet because he's not doing the job that you want him to be doing, I guess. But um, who else has come in this this uh, this block of games? Uh, well, we talked about the signings already, but I'm interested to know who you think the... The signing with the big impact, obviously that could be Hoylet, but I, judging by the answers just there, I'm assuming it's probably not going to be. But um, I like personally, I liked uh, Baba Roman down left. Uh, it's been nice having a, a proper left back. And obviously, um, Drinkwater just being angry at all his teammates has also really livened the game up for me. Um, Cal, who's been your favourite? I've actually really liked uh, Tom Delibasheru. I think he's. You can you can tell at any moment he's looking to impress. I mean, his his runs in behind. We have an attack and it will just pop up on the right wing, and you think, oh, if they play him in there, he's not goal. Obviously, he scored what two goals, three goals, something. Um, but his his impact from that pivot. I don't want to slag off Reno because he's been so good. He's just a different kind of player. Because when Reno made those runs, I think it was Jordan who said it before. Their distraction runs. You don't actually want him to get the ball. 25 yards out from goal because he probably won't score. Whereas Tom Deli Bacharou, he's already shown he's got, he plays almost like a winger in front of goal. Like he can take on players, he can pass, he's got good agility in and out of the box. And he's, I think last time I was on here, it was after country. And I was saying, we didn't have players, like the relationships between the attackers were so poor. And part of that was because they were all new and fresh to each other. But if you want to have an unstructured attack, if you're not playing set, um, kind of set processes again and again, you need good relationships. Part of that is Halilovic and Swift, which has been great. But I think Tom Deli-Basharou has done great work with all of them. Just little interplays, little passes, little touches. And he's made that that whole attacking system so much better, even though he's not even in the front four, because he's the one making the runs off the ball. Yeah, go on, Jordan. Same question. Who, who's, who have you enjoyed looking at? Um... I mean, I'll, t- I'll talk about I'll talk about Danny Drinkwater. Um, 
I think he's been good. I think he's been good so far, but I think even more so I'm, I'm excited for what he's like going to be or hopefully going to be because I think there's still some signs that he's like not fully, fully match fit. He's not, um, I don't know, almost like up to full, full speed in terms of like match stuff. Um, you know, he drops a few passes short or he like he'll charge out and then get caught out of position a little bit and you kind of go, okay, in a few games time, in a few more 90 minutes of football, like, he could be a hell of a hell of a player. Like we've already seen signs that like parts of his game are, are, are too good for the the league. Really, um, I think he I think he just seems a super super intelligent player in terms of like knowing his role. Um, everything he's doing on the ball is even if it's not him playing the pass is with a view to moving it forward. So you know if he's got time to turn and, and pass forward or like pass first time forward he will but even a lot of the way he interplays with the, the like the center backs and stuff like that is so good because even when he's dropping a ball back he's making an angle to then drop the ball back so a center back can then power forward and pass forward um and just little things like that um are so key when you've got you know a player splitting between center backs trying to play the ball out because we've seen over the years you know Plenty of players try and play that sort of like single pivot, which is kind of what he's doing now, at least in that first phase out of defence or whatever. Um, and, you know, we've seen like lots of different versions of people do it well and people not do it so well. And we've seen Josh Long get better at it, I think. Um, but I think there's still, there's still gaps. And I think the step from what Danny does to bring the ball out of defence to what like Josh does and Josh has other strengths as well. And obviously I'm sure we'll talk about how good he's been at centre back, but I think it's just a real difference in um, either ability or just like how used to they are playing that role. Cause he's, he just knows what he needs to do. Um, so I've been super impressed with him and I'm, I'm hoping that once I guess, I don't want to use the word like trust his body, but like, it, it, like once he gets like fully up to speed and like, he knows how quickly he can cover the ground. So he knows whether to go to somebody or not. And, you know, once he gets a bit more used to like just playing 90 minutes of football regularly, um, you know, I think he gives us such a, such a good platform to then go play. And that, that is what these guys need. When we're talking about all these like unstructured attacks and all these like flair players that, that need to craft something out of nothing, we want those guys picking the ball up further up the pitch. We don't want, He'll do it anyway because it's it's Swifty. But like we don't want Swifty and Ovi and Halilovic. We don't want these guys picking the ball up on the halfway line. We want them picking the ball up in the final third. Um, and I think he is a guy that more than anybody else in the team can do that, can get the ball to those guys further up the pitch. Or if he can't, then he's playing in really smart ways so somebody else can get the ball up there. Um, so, yeah, I'm pretty excited about... Um, I've already, he's already kind of allayed a lot of the fears I had when we signed him. We'll see how his body holds up, but he's already allayed some of the, the fears I had when we signed him. Um, so I'm super excited to see what he's going to be like when he's, you know, really, really at full, full steam. I mean, it is nice that we basically mentioned all of those summer signings and basically all hit the ground running. Okay, Hilovich might be injured for a while now, who knows, um, which is the downside of a lot of these guys is, as you say, like how how injury prone they have been over their career so far, um, and and both of you, I think, kind of mentioned it there um, that we we've, we've changed shape um, 
to fit these guys in and, and probably presumably because of the guys we have on the, uh, the physio table currently. Um, so throughout Panovic's Reading career, he's kind of uh, stuck with a 4-2-3-1 and that seemed to have evolved a little bit into more of a a 4-1-4-1. Um, it's not quite as depressingly defensive as Bowen's, but it also is in some ways. Who, who wants to take this one? Uh, I won't. I won't put the uh, Callum. Yeah, I know Cat. Go on, Callum. Badmouth Bowen and Panovic. Well, about Mark Bowen, that Cardiff match reminded me so much of the Charlton game under Bowen. When when I personally, I was like, right, Bowen. He is. There is. There is no way I want him for anything longer the next two months after that Charlton match. Because we went to a struggling team, we scored an early goal, and we sat and we camped for the rest of the game, and it was painful to watch. And it worked because our defenders were going to win. Tom McIntyre had a great game that game, but it was so painful to watch, and it was so obvious it wouldn't work over a season. Because everyone was saying, you know, oh, he gets the job done. But attacking football, people don't just do it because it's fun. They do it because they think it's the best way to win. That's why Guardiola, Klopp does it, etc. You don't kind of just do it just to go over the line. And I think Pound against Cardiff was, was similar. I still hated it. Obviously, there's more, like we were saying earlier, I'm fine with it more because there's more circumstances. It's not, it's not, we were about the point, it was March and we were safe. At this point, it's, you know, we've got deductions. We're still kind of technically just above the relegation zone. So I'm so much more okay with it, with injury problems as well. But I still really, really, really hated how we scored an early goal and we just stopped attacking. And I know, obviously, you want to keep yourself solid and you don't want to commit loads of men forward. But if you score a second goal, that's the game done. Cardiff, they've been beaten 4-0 in the week. McCarthy, uh, Mick McCarthy's on the edge of losing his job. That could have been second goal. They might have collapsed. But we gave them all the chance, all the hope, and 27 shots, which I know they weren't great shots. I know they weren't in the box, you know, five yards out. But that amount of volume, it reminded me of Coventry, which we went to, Matt, and I was on the pod after that game. And I said, I don't care where the shots were. If you let 20-plus shots, bounces won't go your way. Deflections will go in. Raphael might, you know, he might let one in the near post. Stuff happens when you give up that many shots. If you attack more, if you if you threaten them, it helps defensively as well. It's not just kind of two separate defence and attack. It's a whole game plan. If you have the ball, if you, you know, it it stops them. It disrupts their rhythm. It stops them from being able to attack so, so neatly and for so much of the game. And I feel like every away game I've been to or even seen this year, we've let 20 plus shots. I know Stoke, we did Fulham. Of course, we did Coventry, Cardiff. And it is a problem. And it's not, I hate the word, but sustainable. Because next time we let 27 shots, we won't keep a clean sheet. I will put so much money on that, no matter how good Southwood is. So I'd, I'd rather we didn't shut up shop completely after scoring just one goal. Well, like one of one of the interesting things I think about this is the context of how Reading played against QPR and Peterborough, and I've always felt in those two games that Reading played a lot better when they were playing on the front foot and and looking to attack. And then, understandably, we didn't want to do that against Fulham at Craven Cottage. Um, and then he stuck with the Fulham game plan that that worked admittedly and has has worked in in those Middlesbrough and Cardiff wins I guess you could say um but he hasn't gone back to that kind of 
uh, free flowing isn't quite the right word, but there was obviously clearly more attacking intent. Um, Jordan, do you think that this is just the way he's going to play now, or or do you think because because we have some games coming up against teams who Reading probably should be beating in um, Barnsley and Blackpool, although Blackpool have turned over some teams this season already. Um, do you think we'll see a bit more, you know, not gung ho, but like at least at least having more than one shot a match? Well, I think it's really interesting because I think the change that you know everybody's talking about at the moment um, is, isn't this like hard and fast change so much as it is like a, a tweak. Because, um, well, one a couple of things. I think with the exception of maybe Fulham and Derby, we've flipped between them in every match so far, in every match since Fulham, sorry. Um, so, like, you know, watching back the, the Cardiff match, we started with the 4-2-3-1, the and then we switched to 4-1-4-1, and then there was, like, a five-minute spell where we went back to it, and then we switched back again. So it's, it's clearly about... And I've said this a lot about things that Pauno's done and little tweaks he does. In my mind, it's all about the opposition, right? He spotted something he doesn't like in how the game's going or how the opposition sets up. And this is his go-to switch to like try and make us more solid. Because those first like 15, 10, 15 minutes of Cardiff were like pretty sketchy. It was quite fun. Both teams were getting like chances, maybe not chances, but had spells and were looking good. And clearly Pauno went, no, nah, let's shut the game down. He dropped he dropped it into the 4-1-4-1 and then for 10 minutes, nothing happened. And then he switched it back again. And like, so like part of me thinks it's great that we have that in our like arsenal to like shut a game down with a minute change in the game and it have a direct effect, which I think it is having a direct effect. The worry is, is I don't particularly love it as a change. So like, um, you know, for people who, who, are watching it and maybe don't spot where the change comes from and stuff like that. For me, it's like it's all about Swifty because in both setups, Danny Drinkwater or Laurent, whoever's playing that role, is picking the ball up from the defense, right? That doesn't change between the two, whether he's a single sitter or, or there's two of them in there. Deli Bashu is still bombing on regardless, right? So his role doesn't change all that much either. The, the only change really in, in the two setups that I can see at least is about Swifty. So when we played a 4-2-3-1, when we defend, we kind of defend in like a 4-4-2 and Swifty stays forward and him and Puskas press as a pair and they usually try and like stop the ball going into like the defensive midfield or whatever, right? And when we go to the 4-1-4-1, Swifty drops back into like a left-sided centre mid-roll and obviously Danny pulls as like a, you know, in behind the two of them. And the net result in my mind is, yeah, we sort of shut down the game a little bit, but it's just like so passive. Like any opportunity to press goes out the window because we're not going to press with that whole four because we don't do that. And we're not brave enough to do that. So suddenly it's just Puskas running up top by himself, like vaguely trying to press centre backs and stuff. We give up like we give up the entire middle third of the pitch when we do this. But by, you know, generally we look pretty solid when we do it. Um, so I... I love, well, I don't love, but I like the fact that we've got this tucked away as an option, but I would much rather see it never done at nil-nil, personally, or, you know, only do it when you're like, you really want to shut out a game. Because I think it does 
we are not set up. I think you could get away with it if you had like peak Lucas out front, right? Because we know that like when when Lucas is on on fire, he can just like pluck the ball out of the air and he can hold people up, bring people in the play. Like Puss can't do that. Hoylet like is better at it, but even Hoylet, I think, you know, he's not gonna he's not playing as a striker when he plays up there. So like even he, I think there's limitations as to what he can do. Um, I think it's cool that we've got this change. I think it can suit the players we've got. But personally, like I want Swifty as close to goal as much of the time as possible, as close to a striker as much as possible. Puskas's best performances have been when like Swifty's right there with him, making making runs and, and being the link man. So Puskas can just like try and try and distract people, try and make runs, try and pull people around. Um, I'm hoping that we see. I do, I think maybe it comes down to just Pounder being brave, and I don't think we've seen him be brave that many times. Every so often. I don't think I don't think we've seen him be super brave attacking wise much in his Reading career. But equally, like we caveat with everything, with the bench he's got, with the squad he's got, is it time to be brave? Maybe not. He's grinding out the results. And generally, Cal's points about the 27 shots is spot on. But generally, at least anecdotally, it feels like Pano's come out on the right side of those more often than not. So I'm sure he has. He's probably had enough encouragement to just go, nah, let's just grind out one nils because it's kind of kind of worked from a lot, even if it does, you know, scare me to bits. And um as as you kind of touch on, defensively we have improved a lot. Um we've gone from conceding three a game to not conceding more than one in the last five. Um before that, it was all to do with set pieces. Um and I really should have looked at this before trying to talk about it, but it just doesn't feel like I, I'm just not worried about them in the same way that I was, you know, pre-international break. I, I don't know if that's because we're not giving as many away. Um, though Tom De Bashiru does seem to like a, a rogue tackle on the edge of the box. Um, that's probably his one one downside. Um, we just seem to be coping better, and and that's even with, you know a completely makeshift defence. A team's just not targeting us right, Callum? Or is uh, uh, have you seen something that Panovic has actually changed about them? Um, I mean, I, I'd be shocked if they weren't targeting us right because we've just come off the back of Mick McCarthy's Cardiff and Neil Warnock's Millsborough, who, I mean, in the last international break, I thought this could be the two games that, you know, ended Pano. Because if he comes out of these, you know, we just had Fulham, which I thought we'd lose. Um, Derby is there, whatever. But then these two games, I thought, you know, they're going to tear us apart. We were conceding over a set piece of game. And that was even before the corners. The corners were fine. It was all the longest rows, which Cardiff Love and Aidan Flint's got four goals or something. But then even against Bar, I mean, they were doing short corners and stuff. So I don't know if we, they seem to run out of ideas, like they couldn't actually break us down from corners, which is interesting. Um, like I said, I think, and I think Stephen uh, wrote an article on this the other day, but the corners are fine. And I think they've always been fine this season. No matter what people say about zonal marking and et cetera, et cetera. Those, the issue was, was those like long free kicks from wide positions. And again, I don't know what we've actually changed, but like you said, it seems to be fine. We're not, I don't know if the bounces just aren't happening. I don't know if Josh Lawrence is now just going to be set back for the rest of his life because he genuinely is incredible there. And I don't know what happens when Michael Morrison gets back fit or Scott Dan. I mean, obviously, I don't know how good Scott Dan is nowadays. But with Josh Laurent there against Borough, we joked that we had what, two defenders and eight midfielders on the pitch. 
it makes the whole team so much better at passing if you then got Tom Dele-Mashiru moved back to the pivot with Drinkwater and you've got Josh Lawrence then back in defence instead of Michael Morrison who's not the world's greatest passer you know sad as it is to say uh, so I, I don't know if Michael Morrison actually gets back in let's not say something as controversial as that and, like, and, and have people tear us apart when it definitely does happen no the, the well I don't know the return dates of all these different central defenders presumably that is going to have a large impact on who actually um, plays again because if uh, it'll just be who's fit first I imagine like I I don't know about Josh Lawrence he he's been very good at centre-back but whether he stays there is is another question entirely um what I do sl- uh, take slight umbrage with is is Stevens uh and your assertion that um corners have been fine because I we haven't conceded from a corner, and I understand that. And we have looked a lot better recently, but we did. We still look pretty sketchy from those as well early on. Um, they were getting so many back post headers. Um, but one of the things I think has helped, um, especially in those two games that you mentioned, well, not not against Borough because I thought Borough just didn't do the right things. Like they are a Warnock team, but I don't think they played like one. But against Cardiff, was having uh, Southwood in goal because. Uh, and we've we've talked about Southwood before, and kind of uh, I can't remember which game it was after, but Jordan, you were saying like uh, I think it was Peterborough. You were saying that there, there's nothing that he did that Raphael wouldn't have done, and I think that's fair a lot of the time. But I do think he's a lot better on crosses than Raphael is, and, and when you've got a team that put 50 crosses into a box, that might pay dividends, um, even where he gets kicked in the face, you know, saving one. Um, do you think, do, have you changed your mind on Southwood Jordan or are you still kind of, uh, not? I don't know the right way to phrase it, but but it's not that you're not convinced by him, but not you just don't think that he gives a huge benefit over Raphael. So, so yeah, so I, I have changed my mind to some degree, but it wasn't so much that I didn't think Southwood was, was good. I never really got the clamour for him to come in. I'll say that for sure, because um, I think it's harsh to judge players on um, cup games and um, and like one-off games in the league and stuff like that. And and if we're being real, Southwood didn't impress particularly in any of his, um, you know, odd appearances here and there, right? So I was pretty adamant that he shouldn't get in based on those because I didn't think he was great. Um, but also the biggest thing that I was definitely, definitely saying was that um, he just looked very similar to Raftami. Um, you know, they're both similar stature. They both have the downsides of that in terms of like reach and stuff like that. Um, we, we'd heard a lot about how good Southwood was, was how, how good Luke was with his feet. And we didn't see any of that in those cup games and, and the league games. So I was I was pretty I was pretty confused with a lot of the the, the clamour for him to to come in for Raf. But and I, I would say I maintained that to some degree over the first couple of games when you know I was saying there's no way you can drop Raf off the back of two games, three games, right? Um, I think Luke's probably got the shirt for the rest of the season now because I think. And I was saying this at the time, you know, if he gets five, six games, something like that, that's enough of a 
that's enough of a um, a little run to properly assess him and go, yeah, okay, if he's done well in those, then yeah, you can keep it. So my point was more that like you can't drop your first choice keeper off the back of two games where he had like a solid debut but nothing special, and then you know a very good game against Fulham where he pulled off some nice saves. So I have a, I've. <laughs> I sort of have and haven't changed my mind in that, like, it was always based on just let's see some more of him. But having said that, now that I have seen some more of him, there are a bunch of really, really good signs. Like, I think, um, thankfully, thankfully, the distribution has come on massively. And we're seeing the distribution that, you know, people talked about when he was like a youth keeper and stuff. Um, you know, I think he still has some weaknesses in his distribution. Like, he still is, is like long distribution still isn't brilliant. That's the same problem as Raf. So that's, you know, not much of an issue in terms of comparing them. I think he, they're both super comfortable on the ball, but what's really good about Luke is that, like, I think Luke's a bit braver with some of his passing. So, like, Raf will almost only um, pass the centre-backs, right? Or he'll try that, like, floated ball out to, to the, the full-backs. Luke, we've already seen plenty of times, and I'm sure having Danny Drinkwater there helped, but we've seen Luke pass into the, the midfielder that drops in a bunch, and if you've got good midfielders there, like Danny Drinkwater is, then that's absolutely who you should be passing to. Because, you know, a lot of the time, Danny just, like, gets the ball off southward, turns, and charges up the pitch. And you just go, brilliant. Right, there we go. That was easy enough. Not too hard to pass it up, press. He's also um, shown some really, really nice, just, like, clips out to, like, fullbacks and stuff like that who are hugging the touchline. Like, I was always... I was My, my point about Raf was always that, like, He's super comfortable with the ball, which is great if you want to build up through defense. But his distribution isn't brilliant. He's just like, he's always happy to take the ball, which is like kind of the first step. Like we've had plenty of keepers who just do not want the ball at their feet whatsoever. They just are terrified when they get it. So Raf was always fine in that he was comfortable to take it. I think Luke is a step forward in terms of that, in that he's better with it. Um, and then the other big thing, obviously, is, is the coming for crosses. Now, now that we've got this platform to say it, I've said it privately to people as well. Luke Southwood is going to drop a ball to a striker and the ball's going to go in, right, at some point. Um, and we as Reading fans should just kind of like tick that one, if our, it, one off in our heads that it's going to happen at some point, right? Because he's dropped a lot of balls coming for balls. So it's going to happen at some point that it's going to drop to the wrong person, it's going to go in, right? But that's okay, because the net positive is like so, so much better that he's coming for all these balls. Like what we don't see when he drops it is the centre-back who just powers the header in, right? So like it's going to happen. He's going to look a bit silly when it happens. It's probably going to be a bit of outrage on Twitter, but we should all just like get comfortable with it now because it's it's going to happen. But the benefits of him just coming for the ball massively outweigh the one or two that like might get dropped to a striker over the years. So I think... Um, he's come on leaps and bounds. I think he's probably got the shirt for the rest of the season. I hope so anyway, um, because it's nice to see a, you know, a local guy get a, a good chance. And he, and he looks like he's, um, you know, he's got the backing of all the players, you know, they, they all talk about him quite highly. So yeah, it's, that's been a really nice thing to see and, and hopefully it, it continues. And um, on him, he's definitely made the right decision to go for the short sleeves. He, uh, he always looks more intimidating. Those lovely arms kept bursting out of that t-shirt. He'll do wonders for those shirt sales for keepers. Um, but yeah, like, yeah, like John said here, uh, because there was one against Peterborough where he came out for it 
he fought you. There's no one near him, and he's still got a free kick. Because if you come for it, if you're positive, if you're like the protagonist of your own box, you get decisions because the referee is terrified, especially championship level, of dropping a clanger and being that guy that, you know, because it's always more dramatic if the goal goes in. If there's a free kick to the keeper, no one ever remembers it. But if you've, if you've not given a free kick when the keeper's been fouled, that's on you. And, that, you know, the refs will be slammed for that and that'll be the talk for the next week. So just by being positive, he'll get stuff that he maybe shouldn't. And, um, you know, I mean, he got he got uh, Matt Crooks that red card when it probably wasn't a red card against Borough. But that kind of saved us because he was quite big and that was the last 10 minutes of, of long throws and corners. Um, and he probably should have got some self against Cardiff as well because he had a massive scrape down his eye or down his cheek. James Collins. Which is, yeah, disgraceful because he's a lovely man. You shouldn't be kicking I... that cheek. I did not think that was a red card, but I seem to be in the minority with that one. Uh, I thought it was a, a striker going for a ball and a keeper with his head down. Um, but hey, uh, I thought a yellow card was fair. I could see why why kicking someone in the face might be deemed a red card, but but not for me. Uh, you know, that in back in my day, that would never have been a red card. Um, the game was gone. The game was gone. Yeah, yeah. Get, to be fair, if that because I am Sunday league keeper, if that happens against me, I'm calling for a red card every day. So maybe I should just shut my mouth. Um, so yeah, we've we've dragged on long enough. I think um, one final question, I guess, is obviously gonna or we will have this point deduction at some point. Um, in a word, do you think? It's an issue, Jordan. Uh, like, do you think it's going to affect the outcome of this season in any real way? In a word, no. Cool, that's great. Cal, I think it'll leave us around six nine points off worse than what we could have been before, and that will hurt yeah. only if we're sixth or we would have been sixth. But I doubt we will. I mean, we'll end up ninth and then with the deduction fourteenth. Cool. And that's the well, sad life of the championship. Yeah, covered it. I, I, and this is something I think I said uh, in the preview show. It's like this This feels like it would have been a rebuilding year for Pauno, which he, he wasn't going to get because he did so well last season. But now he might get to do it because of this point seduction. And, and with South coming through, Holmes and McIntyre coming through, like it, as long as the EFL don't block contracts there, we might be in an okay position next year. Um well, maybe not an okay. You think a point deduction is good? No, I'm not saying it's good. I'm just saying, like, it might... There are silver linings to everything. We've all seen Stuart Little, and you need to look on the bright side of life. That's that's what... God, a cute lorry in that was good, wasn't it? Anyway, like, let's not let's not go into classic 90s kids' films, because we could be here all day. Uh, Jordan, thanks very much for joining us. Callum, thanks very much for joining us. Um, I'm not sure that we'll do the next international break again. I'm not sure when that is. I don't think there is one in December, but um, we'll be back with loads more to talk about post-international break when we get the preview show for whatever game is happening. Should have looked that up. Barnsley for the preview show for Barnsley next week. <laughs>